Hello everyone, welcome to Antibodies. This is our 39th body sode, a segment where we discuss research papers with the first or last authors of the article. Joining me today is my co-host Eugenio from Autonomous University of Mexico. How are you doing, Eugenio? I'm very, very good. I'm very excited for today's discussion. I think it's going to be a great discussion. We have a great guest and a great topic. A lot of science and immunology. Yeah, you know, what I, I love about this, this episode is we recently did an episode on T-cell signaling in our Immunology 101 segment. And somehow this episode lines up perfectly with that, which I like that. <laughs> okay, so the article we're discussing today is titled SARS-CoV-2 Spike Protein Suppresses CTL-Mediated Killing by Inhibiting Immune Synapse Assembly. The title gives out a lot of spoilers, which I'm sorry for that, but <laughs> it's the title says exactly what the paper is about. This paper is coming from the group of Dr. Cosima Tatiana Baldari from the Department of Life Sciences, based at the University of Siena in Italy. Dr. Baldari is, going, is joining us today, along with the co-corresponding author of this article, Dr. Rino Rapuoli. Welcome to the podcast, Rino and Cosima. I will let Eugenio tell our audience a little bit about our guest today. So today we have two exceptional scientists with us who are the for, who are the forefront of vaccine research and immunology. Our first guest is Dr. Rina Rapoli, or for now on, I will say Rina, Dr. Rina. He's a chief scientist and head of external R&D and GCK vaccines based in Siena, Italy. Dr. Rino is also a professor of vaccines research at Imperial College London, UK, and has held several prestigious positions through his career, including head of vaccine R&D at Novartis and CEO of Sharon Corporation. He has published over 600 works in peer-reviewed journals and has received numerous awards for his contribution to the field including the gold medal by the Italian president and the Albert B. Sabine gold medal. He was also elected to the U.S. National Academy of Science, the American Academy of Art and Science, and the European Molecular Biology Organization. Our second guest today is Dr. Cosima Tatiana Valdari, a full professor at the University of Siena, Italy. Dr. Tatiana received her degree in biological science from the University of Rome, and did her postdoctoral fellowship at the European Molecular Biology Laboratory in Heidelberg, Germany. She has been a staff scientist at the University of Rome and a visiting scientist at the NBL Laboratories. Dr. Valdari is a member of the European Molecular Biology Organization and Academy Net. She has significant contribution to the field of immunology, particularly in the area of T-cell signaling and immune synapse formation. We have we are thrilled now to have both of these esteemed scientists with us today to discuss the latest research findings with today. And I'm really happy having you today. So yeah, I think we could move on with our fantastic joke today. You're not supposed to say it's a joke, then it <laughs> kills the whole vibe. Uh, it loses the whole vibe. All right, all right, let, let's do this. So we know that HIV has an ace up its sleeve for evading immune responses, but do you know what does SARS have? What? It's got an ace too up its sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
this is going to make a lot more sense at the end of the episode so i'm sorry for this bad joke <laughs> but when i say it makes sense at the end of the episode i mean it'll be more palatable but it's still not a good joke i think <laughs> all right yohenio before we start uh our discussion of the paper let's go through some of the terminology and i would like our guests to help us with these terminologies so yohenio i'll let you lead this segment so the very first uh, concept that i would like to discuss today is what is an immune synapse? And I don't know if Dr. T uh, Tatiana or uh, Reno could help us to the audience. What is the immune synapse? Okay, I think I'll answer this because uh, it's my specialty, let's say. So the immune synapse is, is a very highly organized platform that forms uh, at the interface of a T cell when uh, it recognizes uh, an antigen presenting cell uh, that has the, the correct uh, specificity of peptide MHC complex. And um, the, the, the structure of the synapse in its mature form is uh, made of three concer uh, concentric circles with the, with the center uh, occupied by the T-cell antigen receptor and co-stimulator receptors such as CD28, and then a peripheral ring of, uh, and that's the, the part where there is signaling and also internalization of uh, the T-cell receptors as they are as they get there, because it's a sort of like a, a spinning wheel. So they get in and new ones are brought up and they are getting again. So it's the, the core, let's say, of the signaling part of the synapse. Then uh, this peripheral ring uh, is enriched in integrins. And around the integrins, there is also a support of the active cytoskeleton underneath. So it helps stabilizing the contact. And this is very important. Uh, because uh, it has to uh, remain, uh, uh, the, the, the two cells need to be attached for quite a long time. And then the, the receptors that are unwanted, so the, the big ones that uh, would uh, prevent the contact, uh, good contact with the two membranes, or also receptors with inhibitory activities are pushed out of the way. And so in this way, uh, the, all the, the key participants in, the, in signaling that uh, will then drive T cell activation are brought exactly in the right place to do exactly the right uh, the right thing, and it's a very dynamic structure uh, that uh, is dynamic while remaining stable for a long time to uh, allow for the T cell not only to to become to become primed but also to uh, um, get all the signals that are required for its proliferation, for its clonal expansion, and then for its differentiation to an effector or memory cell. So what would happen if the immune synapse is wrong or like something wrong with that? What happened to the T cell? Well, the T cell does not become activated okay. because it needs to be, uh, to have these signals, the right th signals at the right place to be integrated there and uh, getting on for a long time. Otherwise it doesn't work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, the next uh thing I would like to discuss is something, a protein that's it's been for a while now. Uh, we all have heard of this protein, which is AC2 or angiotensin converting enzyme. We have heard in the context of SARS-CoV-2, but I would like to, uh, if anyone could help us tell me, like, what is the function of this protein in, like, in physiological roles and what is the role in the context of SARS-CoV-2? Let's say that uh, until COVID, uh, the, the only function that was uh, 
in the context of which ACE2 was studied was basically uh, the control of blood pressure, so the renin angiotensin system, because ACE2 uh, is, um, as, is a membrane-associated enzyme with an ectoenzyme activity uh, that converts uh, angiotensin 1 in angiotensin uh, uh, sorry, angiotensin 2 to uh, angiotensin uh, 1,7, a peptide that then activates uh, another receptor downstream called MAS. And that's involved, as I was saying, in the uh, control of blood pressure. Um, so, uh, but, but uh, with a, uh, in the, close to the pandemic, there was just a handful of people, yeah, studying these two also in, in other contexts, uh, particularly because uh, it is a bit different from the, it's homologous ACE, which is not even one, it's just a poor ACE, uh, because ACE, um, uh, it, uh, ACE2 uh, seems to be a chimeric protein. It has evolved as a chimeric protein where the uh, ectodomain uh, is, uh, has got a high homology with ACE, and so has also got, as I was saying, an enzymatic activity. But uh, the transmembrane and intracellular domains are, are different, and they uh, derive uh, probably from a gene fusion event with another gene called collect, uh, encoding for a protein called collectrin that is important for the control of amino acid absorption. Um, and uh, and so uh, ACE2 has also been implicated in amino acid absorption, so uh, in the gut in, in particular. So, uh, which by the way, as, as Rino might comment later, has something to do with uh, some of the uh, anomalous, let's say unexpected manifestations uh, of COVID-19, which are not uh, strictly related to the, to the pulmonary uh, disease. Thank you. Um, and finally, uh, I would like to, uh, if Dr. Rino could help us here, uh, it's really quick uh, and, and, and simple. How would you describe the cytotoxic program of CDA T cells and particularly how does Grandsign B works? Well, the, one of the functions of cytotoxic T cells is basically to recognize the, uh, an, the antigens presented by antigen-presenting cells uh, and uh, to kill them. Uh, so uh, uh, that is, has many roles in many different diseases. Uh, in the case of uh, infectious diseases, uh, basically cytotoxic T cells, they recognize the uh, uh, antigen-presenting cells, which, uh, which in this case are uh, infected cells by virus, by bacterial, by something. And so they form the synapse and then they, uh, uh, through the synapse, they uh, inject their granules, basically uh, lysing, uh, lysing granules into the uh, uh, host cells and they kill them. Uh, so that's true for, in the case of uh, COVID, obviously, uh, the function of the cytotoxic T cells is to kill the cells which are infected by the virus. Uh, in the case of cancer, is to kill the cells, which are uh, the cancer cells, uh, and, and so on. So basically, the, their function is to uh, recognize, I mean, the, the T cells recognize the, uh, the, uh, the in, infected cells or the cancer, cancer cells. Uh, uh, when they recognize, they form the synapse, and then through the synapse, they basically they inject the granules, uh, which are basically lithic granules, they're gonna kill the cells. 
Thank you, Dr. Rina. I think this is a fascinating topic, which I, I, I remember quite uh, in, in my immunology classes. Well, now we can move on to the introduction of the paper to, to deep now in the topic of this interesting paper now. That we can move on now. Thanks, Eugenio. That was, I think these are some of the important terms that we uh, had to talk about before jumping into the paper. And now we are mostly ready. I think it's an appropriate generalization to say that if a pathogen has found a way to infect the human body, it is also implied that the pathogen has successfully evaded the immune response in some way. What I find fascinating about some of these immune evasive strategies is that they provide a sneak peek into the normal functioning of our cells. Let's look at this this way. Just like knocking out a gene can tell us about the importance of that gene in a given context, studying and understanding such immune evasion strategies can also provide us insights about the importance of those immune mechanisms in providing resistance to pathogen infections. Today, we'll be talking about such an immune evasive strategy in the context of COVID-19, which is a term I hopefully have to not define, <laughs> and the COVID-19's causative agent, SARS-CoV-2, which we'll be talking a little bit about today. Severe COVID-19, which is, well, the cases of the disease where things have gone nuts, <laughs> is associated with immune dysregulation, this includes hyperactivation of the innate immune system and an impaired adaptive response. And I think it's impossible to talk about adaptive immunity without bringing in T cells. So we just had uh, Reno define the cytotoxic T cells for us and how the granzyme B uh, is used for the killing of the targeted cells. Uh, Tatiana, can you tell us about a few general mechanisms by which helper T cells are helping in combating viral infections? Yeah, well, uh, of course, helper T cells are more variegated than, than cytotoxic T cells because cytotoxic T cells are killing machines. So they've just got the one uh, objective, kill and kill serially possibly, and uh, kill without mistake of identity. So they just pick the right guy and uh, kill the right guy and do not kill the guy who is close by. But um, helper T cells are, as I was saying, more variegated because uh, they don't uh, differentiate. Uh, so the, their precursors, the CD4 T cells, do not uh, differentiate into a single uh, type of cell, but into uh, many uh, different uh, subpopulations with uh, different function. And, um, and so there are the classically known T helper 1 and T helper 2, T helper 17. Uh, Tregs, but also a, a category of a subpopulation of cells, which uh, are uh, really super essential for uh, the generation of uh, humoral response. So for the uh, generation of, uh, for the development of plasma cells that are capable to produce high affinity class switched antibodies. And these are the uh, follicular T helper cells. Uh, and so uh, they, they uh, regulate, so the, the B cell can be activated just by looking at antigen, by recognizing antigen, and it gets to the point of becoming an IgM-producing cell. But at that point, uh, it needs to undergo uh, maturation, which involves uh, somatic permutation, so affinity maturation of the, of the variable part of the antibody to recognize better the pathogen, and also the class switch, 
class switching so that they can acquire the FC uh, portion, which is uh, the appropriate one for the type of infection. And these processes, so the maturation within the germinal center are controlled by the uh, follicular helper T cells. So when they are defective, uh, the antibody response is going to be very poor. Okay, thanks a lot for that. So what I'm getting is we have the helper T cells, well, they also assist in activating the cytotoxic T cells indirectly. They're also helping in the production of these uh, highly tuned uh, high affinity antibodies towards the pathogens. So let's get back to our paper. It has been shown that CD8 positive T cells are preferentially dysregulated in severe COVID-19. In severe COVID-19 patients, it's observed that there is a decrease in cytotoxic lymphocytes, also called CTLs, which we will be using this term for the rest of the paper. So yeah, a decrease in cytotoxic lymphocytes or CTLs in the upper respiratory tract compared to the milder cases of COVID-19. It has also been noted that there is a decrease in cytokine production from the CD8 positive T cells in severe cases, while the milder cases are associated with a robust expansion of CD8 positive T cells. All this makes sense considering CTLs are responsible for eliminating virally infected cells, as Reno pointed out earlier. One of the ways CTLs eliminate their targets is through forming an immune synapse, a sort of direct contact with its target where the CTLs will deliver cytotoxic agents to its target cell. This brings me to the grand hypothesis of the paper we are discussing today. SARS-CoV-2 is either directly or indirectly inhibiting the CTL response. The interesting thing here is the SARS-CoV-2 spike receptor, which is the human angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 or ACE2, is expressed by activated T cells. Does this hint towards a direct modulation of T cell responses by SARS-CoV-2? Well, let's find out by jumping into the results. I mentioned before that activated T cells are known to express the ACE2 receptor. However, we don't know if CTLs also express the ACE2 receptor. To investigate this, the authors generated CTLs from CD8 positive T cells by tre treating them with the holy trinity of T cell activation juice, anti-CD3, anti-CD28, and interleukin-2. They noticed that while the CD8 positive T cells did not express much ACE2, their activated counterpart CTLs strongly upregulated it. It was also confirmed that the Wuhan variant spike protein, which we are going to call as spike W or spike Wuhan for the rest of this episode, this variant of spike protein could also bind to the, this ACE2 that was expressed by the CTLs. After showing that the spike can bind to CTLs, the next question the authors want to answer is, can this spike ACE2 interaction on the CTLs disrupt the formation of the immune synapse, which is directly involved with killing of virally infected cells? Tatiana, uh, your group performed an interesting experiment here to look at the immune synapse formation in CTLs. Can you elaborate for our audience about this experimental system? And what did you find about the involvement of spike protein in the immune synapse formation? Sure. So um, 
If you allow me, I'll say two words uh, about the rationale because I think that, that that's important uh, before going into the into the experimental system. So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, pathogens are, are really masters in uh, spotting the, uh, the Achilles heel of, of the of their host and, and exploiting it to for uh, to their advantage. And uh, viruses, of course, uh, do this, and the immune synapse uh, has been uh, is. Uh, and in many uh, infections, in many viral infections, an indirect target of the viruses because uh, viruses often interfere with antigen presentation. So antigen processing, loading and presentation. And so as a result, the synapse does not form properly. But uh, in recent years, there has been also uh, quite uh, some interest about the synapse uh, at the T cell side being also a target of viruses. And a very nice example is HIV-1 that disrupts uh, uh, um, the processes that, that uh, regulate synapse formation. So there is this, so synapse, the synapse can be a, a, an excellent Achilles heel for the virus to inactivate the function of uh, a T cell, and including a CTL. And the other um, uh, part of the rationale is that CTLs are, of course, recruited to the site of infection. So uh, they, they are going to be recruited to the, uh, to the alveolar cells of the patients, of COVID-19 patients, and there they're going to find a lot of spike and a lot of viruses, of course, and uh, they, thus a lot of spike. And the other point is that ACE2 had been uh, reported to be um, expressed in uh, activated T cells. We didn't know about CTLs, but that we checked and we, we found that it was expressed. So uh, that that brought us to, uh, to our uh, rationale. So uh, can um, SARS-CoV-2 uh, try to evade the CTL response by targeting the immune synapse? So for this, we use this experimental system. CTLs derived from patients, uh, sorry, from initially just from uh, healthy uh, donors. We differentiate them from um, freshly purified CD8, uh, CD8 T cells, as you uh, mentioned. And then what do we use to look at the synapse? So one problem that immunologists have, of course, when they uh, look at T cell functions and T cell signaling and try uh, to, to do many experiments is the fact that uh, primary uh, T cells have each a single specificity of the TCR. So uh, when you try and activate them, either you use clones or you cannot activate them. So ideally for large scale experiments, you need to, uh, to use a polyclonal activation. And this is in the form of super antigens. Super antigens, the, the standard uh, setting is super antigens from uh, uh, um, Staphylococcus, so Staphylococcus enterotoxins. And uh, because they, they uh, sort of force the T cell to interact with the antigen presenting cell independently of the specificity of the antigen. So they stick together, let's say they clamp together the T cell antigen uh, receptor and the MHC peptide complex. And so uh, trigger a cascade that largely recapitulates the one uh, uh, triggered by a physiological antigen. And then as antigen presenting cell or target cell, in this case, what do we use? We used, uh, the, again, a classical system, which is a Raji B cell. It's a B cell line. And it's good because it's the same size as the T cell. So when they touch and uh, they form conjugates, uh, you, you find uh, they, they form this nice uh, synapse at the, at the contact site. If you try to do this with a very uh, fibroblast or a large cell that sticks, you don't find the nice synapse because T cell tries to lie on the, on the big cell, but it doesn't manage it. So you need a system where you can uh, 
polyclonally activate T cell and look uh, and uh, manage forming uh, synapses that can be imaged nicely. So uh, this is our experimental system. And so what we did was, okay, we uh, what are the readouts? Well, if you want to look at, uh, at the functional synapse, uh, typically you look at the activation of the tyrosine phosphorylation cascade because this is what triggers everything. And so there is a beautiful antibody, which is an antiphosphotyrosine antibody that recognizes these phosphorylated proteins. So the first thing we did is look at the accumulation of tyrosine phosphoproteins at the synapse in the presence of spike, and that was defective. And so then we went back to why. Well, one of the possible reasons was that the T cell antigen receptor did not localize to the synapse. So we looked at that and indeed it, it, uh, it failed to localize at the synapse. And so uh, then uh, going on in the process, uh, if the TCR does not signal, everything is not going to work. And indeed we found that the uh, centrosome did not polarize. Uh, so two words about this, uh, when we talk about the synapse, uh, the synapse uh, forms when the T cell antigen receptor and these other uh, ex uh, molecules at the surface go onto this uh, interface. But then intracellularly also, there is an important process because the centrosome, so the microtubule organizing center of the T cell, needs to bring the cytoskeleton so, mm, di uh, close to the synapse because this way all the trafficking is uh, directed towards this area. And this, this is very important for the cytotoxic T cells because the little granules that uh, Rino was mentioning travel along the microtubules, go exactly to the synapse and are released only on the target cell, which is why there is uh, the sparing of bystander cells. So we found that uh, as a result of the defect in TCR signaling, uh, there was a failure of the cell to polarize the microtubular organizing center and to deliver the lytic granules to the synapse. And as a consequence, cytotoxicity is, uh, so killing of target cells was impaired. So uh, this is our experimental system. Thanks a lot, uh, Tatiana. That was that was quite detailed answer. And we'll be revisiting a lot of these results again uh, throughout this episode. And so let me summarize what we have found so far from these results. What we have talked about is the CTLs, they express a good amount of ACE2 receptor and that the Wuhan variant spike protein can interfere with the immune synapse formation. And to, again, to elaborate a little bit more on the T-cell signaling portion that you were talking about, I'll let Eugenio take the next part of the results. Thank you, Jatin. Um, so then the author asked if uh, the spike protein interfered with T-cell signaling at early stages of T-cell activation. So now privilege, they show that there was a defect on immune synapse formation, then what happened? And the, the next obvious question would be what happened to the T-cell signaling? So to answer this question, they compared the effects of pre-treating cells with spike protein during immune synapse formation at two different type points, five minutes and 15 minutes after immune synapse formation. And before we dive into the results, I would like to ask uh, Dr. Tatiana, Dr. Reno, what do you think, why did you choose these two particular time points, five and 15 minutes? Why? Why particularly those those two time points? So I was I was mentioning before that uh, the uh, formation. I mean, it's you you can understand that with the formation of such a, a complex a structure as the immune synapse, uh, this is a stepwise process. So it needs 
uh, several steps in a row to, uh, to achieve the mature, full, full, fully structured configuration. And um, so there is a, a problem in all this because uh, the, as I mentioned, the, the cell needs to be signaling for a long time for the, to become activated and committed to differentiate. And this, the T cell antigen receptors that are present at the cell surface are not sufficient for this because the first thing they do, of course, as soon as the, the, the first TCRs uh, get engaged by antigen, they start signaling and they migrate towards, they are mobilized towards the center of the synapse. But when they get there, they are internalized and so you lose those uh, receptors from the cell surface. But the cell needs to keep signaling. So how does it do that? The T, cells the T cell has an intracellular pool of T cell antigen receptors that are associated with recycling endosomes. And so when, when these uh, surface receptors get exhausted, the ones from the, from the uh, intracellular pool are transported and delivered to the cell surface. And so you, you, you keep recycling them to the cell surface and you keep having receptors available for signaling. And so the second step requires vesicular trafficking because it is a process of recycling. And for this, this is why uh, the polarization of the centrosome is essential so that uh, the, the these endosomes can uh, travel along the microtubules to get delivered to the to the synaptic uh, synaptic area. So when you look at the full fully formed synapse that you uh, you obtain at 15 minutes, you cannot discriminate whether there is a defect of early signaling or whether, for example, there is a defect in the transport of, of the lytic granules or in the delivery to the surface. So there are all the steps that follow TCR signaling. Whereas if you look at an early, earlier time point, you can see if there is a defect in signaling, because if you have an early defect in signaling, it's going to abort everything which is going to happen, which would happen uh, otherwise downstream. And so we chose the five minutes because there the cell has not yet organized everything. So uh, uh, we can discriminate between a defect in signaling that is the cause of all the subsequent effects or instead uh, a defect uh, downstream. And so what our data show uh, is that at five minutes, you have already defects. And we also confirmed that by immunoblot, by, by uh, looking at uh, activation of uh, ERK by immunoblot doing a time course. So we can, uh, what we could discriminate, we use this time to discriminate between uh, signaling defects or signaling in the process downstream of uh, the signaling of TCR signaling. And we found that the problem is signaling defects. So interference of ACE2 or spike ACE2 with uh, TCR signaling. Thank you, Dr. Tatiana. I think that was a fantastic uh, answer. And yeah, as uh, as going going back to the results, and the authors showed that even in five or 15 minutes after immune synapse there was, as Tatiana mentioned before, it was a defect in T-cell signaling, T-cell activation. And one way to measure or assess that was uh, by uh, quantifying the presence of phosphorylated signaling molecules known as phosphotyrosines. And all to all, all our audience, quick sidestep, we have discussed immunotyrosines and their role in T-cell signaling in our episode 17 on the Immunology 101 series. So if you're interested, check it out you want to learn more about T-cell uh, signaling. And going back to the paper, uh, 
The authors also found that the exposure to spike protein for as little as five minutes resulted in a defect in phosphotyrosite signaling at the immune synapse formation, which was accompanied by a reduction in the accumulation of active SAP70, spelled CAD70, a kinase in T cell activation cascade. Overall, these findings is significant because it suggests that the spike protein can interfere with the normal process of T cell activation and may have implications for the development of immune responses to viral infections. Thanks a lot for that, Eugenio. Mm -hmm. the, so we have had two plugs of our old episodes and to follow with the power of three, I will have the last shameless plug to our old episode. We have also talked about super antigens in the same episode where we talked about T-cell activation. So please check that out. And Eugenio, from this point onwards, we cannot talk about our old episodes anymore. It's okay. just embarrassing. <laughs> All right. So previous research has shown that centrosome repositioning to the immune synapse is the integral part of the polarized delivery of cytotoxic effectors of CTLs to the target cell. So, and th this is again rehashing some of the things that Tatiana mentioned before about how important centrosomes are into the whole experimental system. So let's go a little bit into the, this part of the cell biology. To look at centrosomes, the authors went on to co-stain uh, the cells with anti-pericentrin and anti-granzyme B antibodies. Tatiana, if you don't mind, I would like to go back into the fundamentals of cell biology. Can you explain to us what is the centrosome and what's our current understanding of how it helps in the delivery of cytotoxic effector molecules from CTLs to your target cells? And I know you have answered a little bit of that, but yeah. in this, uh, in this uh, aspect, I just would like a more, let's say, a simplified answer for mm -hmm. for something someone like me who has forgotten what a centrosome is completely. Okay, so uh, so uh, a centrosome is formed by the centrioles, which are tiny organelles uh, that act that to get that recruit proteins like pericentrin or uh, or other uh, other proteins that um, nucleate. Uh, new microtubule. So it's the microtubule organized, it's a microtubule organizing center. Uh, a cell can have more than one microtubule organizing center, but for T cells, the only microtubule organizing center is the centrosome. And uh, why uh, is it important? Because uh, the dynamics of the, so uh, you all know that microtubules polymerize and depolymerize, and this dynamics of microtubules is essential uh, when the cells change shape. And uh, the, the T cell changes the, uh, its shape profoundly when, uh, when it undergoes synapse formation, because from a round cell, it sort of flattens over the, the, the target cell and, and uh, has to bring, to polarize all its activity toward this, uh, the, the contact site. So it does so by polarizing the centrosome and the centrosome brings with it the microtubule cytoskeleton, so uh, the, uh, the microtubule also oriented towards the synapse, and also it brings all the secretory apparatus 
And what does this mean? That, as I was mentioning, uh, TCRs, the intracellular pools, a pool of TCRs that are associated with recyclic endosomes, need to be transported to the, to the, um, to the synapse, to the contact site with the antidepressanting cell, and so do in the cytotoxic T cell the lytic granules. Because if they are delivered uh, just uh, all around the cell, that does not give the proper lethal hit. So it's not effective on the target cell and it can be dangerous for the other cells. So uh, it is essential that the uh, centrosome polarizes toward the, uh, the, the infected cell, let's say, uh, for, uh, for all the cytotoxic machinery to be delivered exactly at that site to effectively and specifically kill the target cell. Thanks a lot for that, Tatiana. The, the more I learn about these processes, the more I start to appreciate how much coordination is required for these things to happen at the same time. And it's just, it's just amazing. Anyway, coming back to the results, the authors found that centrosome polarization towards the immune synapse was impaired in the Spike W treatment group or the Spike Wuhan variant treatment group as assessed by measuring the distance of the centrosome from the immune synapse center. Additionally, lytic granule convergence towards the centrosome, which is required for efficient degranulation of the T cell, was impaired under these conditions as well. This raised the question whether it could be that spike may actually suppress CTL-mediated cytotoxicity. To answer that question, they perform a fluorimetry-based cytotoxicity assay by incubating the spike-pretreated CTLs with staphylococcal antigen pulse RAGI cells, which is again going back to what Tatiana was mentioning. These are RAGI cells that are pulsed with uh, super antigens, and the super antigens are going to act on the CTLs. And these uh, RAGI B cells were also loaded up with this dye called calcine AM, which is a cell permian dye that becomes fluorescent following hydrolyzation by intracellular esterases. And these, these, uh, are, these intracellular esterases are going to be released by dying cells. So if the CTLs are properly injecting their lytic granules inside the target cells, which are the Raji cells here, we would eventually see this readout as fluorescing green cells thanks to that calcine AM dye. A time course analysis of the fluorescent calcine released by target cells showed that the spike suppressed the ability of CTLs to kill target cells at all effect to target ratios that were tested. They also got similar results with antigen-specific system using a melanoma-specific CTL generated from melanoma patients and the HLA-matched melanoma cell line as the target cells. To further make sure that this inhibitory effect of the spike on CTL-mediated killing, they generated a melanoma cell overexpressing the spike Wuhan variant protein and tested this cell line's ability to affect CTL function. They noticed that the spike overexpressing melanoma cells recapitulated the suppressive effects of spike pretreatment on CTL cytotoxicity. In short, this figure provides substantial evidence that spike Wuhan prevents uh, CTLs from forming functional immune synapses, which results in impaired lytic granule polarization to and release at the immune synapse, thereby compromising their killing potential. Now, 
there is something very exciting about this melanoma cell expressing spike, uh, expressing the spike protein that can inhibit cytotoxic T cell activation. I'm going to pick it up later in the discussion because it looks like a million dollar startup idea. <laughs> but anyway, let's go on to the next figure. The data we have discussed so far has demonstrated that spike is capable of inhibiting CTL function by disrupting the formation of the immune synapse. At this point, however, the authors have not investigated the interactions that cause this effect. What is the spike protein doing? How does this disrupt the synapse assembly? We have already explored so far that the CTLs express the ACE2 receptor and that this ACE2 receptor can be bound by the spike and that soluble spike as well as spike expressing melanoma cells can disrupt CTL-mediated cytotoxicity. So it's an obvious target. Let's look at if it is indeed the spike ACE2 interaction that is responsible for this disruption. To confirm this, the authors used a monoclonal antibody that prevents the binding of the spike Wuhan variant to the ACE2 receptor. They prevented the uh, they pretreated the uh, CLTs uh, with the neutralizing antibody to impede spike binding and then incubate, incubated the CTLs. I mean, CTLs, I have said CLTs before, but yeah, they incubated these CTLs with super antigen loaded APCs uh, with and without the spike protein. As before, in the absence of the neutralizing antibody, the CTLs showed impaired immune synapse assembly which was seen by reduced tyrosine phosphorylation uh, and a lack of centrosome polarization. However, in the cultures that received the ACE2 neutralizing antibody, immune synapse assembly and centrosome polarization was normal. This suggests that ACE2 mediates the effect, effects of spike protein on CTL function. The authors were also able to replicate this phenomenon in the spike variants of Omicron BA1 and BA2 variants, which means that it's not something unique to the Wuhan spike variant. And again, they went one step further and showed that the freshly purified quiescent CD8 T cells, where ACE2 is not expressed and in which immune synapse assembly is not affected by spike treatment, they can actually be made responsive to spike by overexpressing ACE2 using a transfected plasmid construct. At this point, the authors assess the potential translability of their findings to human SARS-CoV-2 infection. It's all good if it happens in the dish. Does it actually translate to people? So to prove that they have taken uh, from the patients with acute COVID-19 some mononuclear cells, which includes CTLs, from the bronchoalveolar lavage, where there are ample viral particles and uh, if these particles were uh, in contact with the CTLs, we would see an effect. And that they've also taken from the peripheral blood, uh, the CTLs, where these CTLs would not have been in contact with a lot of viral particle. So within the same patient, I'm guessing this is a control of being close to a lot of virus particles versus not being close to a lot of virus particles. So they performed the same co-incubation with the super antigen pulsed APCs, but did not add any spike protein on their own. The authors found that compared to circulating cells, that is the PBMCs and the CD8s, uh, CTLs that are coming from the PBMCs, these, these cells 
did not have a lot of uh, severe defects in immune assembly compared to the CTLs that were coming from the lungs of the patients with SARS-CoV-2. This indicates that in vivo, the virus is able to disrupt proper immune synapse formation in the lungs where there is a lot of well, viral particles and spike, which likely leads to reduced CTL function. Uh, Tatiana, I find this result very convincing. And you mentioned in the discussion that you even suspect the concentration of spike protein you used in your in vitro experiments to be well below local concentrations in vivo. And then the data from your patient samples are so striking. I wonder if you think spike ACE2 binding is the only mechanism driving the lack of immune synapse assembly in the patient alveolar cells, or do you think if there are other contributing factors to this effect? What we've described so far is basically is, is a very elegant and actually beautiful experiment that performed in the laboratory where basically you add the spike protein to CTLs uh, uh, and antigen-presenting cells, and you see that basically the uh, addition of the spike protein inhibits the formation of, of the immunosynapse. Uh, that's beautiful, you get nice pictures in the lab, and, but the question is, is that relevant to the disease? Is that relevant to what, uh, what happens to the patients? Uh, and and there, there are two ways of answering. One was uh, maybe the concentration of the spike we use in the lab is by far superior to the one is present in the uh, in, in in the lungs or in the nose or in the upper respiratory tract during the infection. And maybe the, what we are looking at is maybe nice experiment, but it's nothing to do with disease, or is the opposite. So the first question was calculation of see whether the concentration of spike we were using the lab was in the range of what we assume is going to be present in the uh, infected lungs or the infected nose or in the, on the surface of cytotop or of infected cells. And uh, we calculated that basically in uh, one milliliter of sputum or one milliliter of uh, 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 fluid that you can remove from the lines, uh, the, you can have uh, 10 to the 11, which is basically 100 uh, billion viruses. And, uh, and then you can calculate the concentration of those, uh, of the spike on those viruses, and you come up with a concentration which was in this case was four micrograms, which is pretty much uh, the concentration, the range of the concentration was used in the laboratory. So that provided some indication that, I mean, the in vivo during infection, you actually get a concentration of spike, uh, which is in the range of what we have been using in vitro. So suggesting that in vivo, that could be uh, the observation that we made, could be relevant for during the disease. And then obviously uh, the killer question, uh, the killer experiment was the ability to take CTLs from the lungs of the infected people and see that those CTLs were completely paralyzed. They were not really able to kill uh, target cells. So basically that confirmed uh, that the 
nice experiment in the lab actually was very relevant to what happens during the infection. And now we know that during the infection, the uh, basically the virus uses the spike not only to enter the cells, but also to avoid or uh, the killing of the infected cells. So the virus can produce more and more. So it's a, I mean, it's a smart virus altogether. That's, yeah, that, no, that, that's pretty well-designed experiment. And this virus is doing everything it can. Like there's a reason it's become a pandemic. I guess it's a very successful yeah, virus. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Tatiana, I wanted to follow up on something. I just noticed, well, you took these uh, CTLs from the uh, BAL, from the lungs, and they were, as Reno said, paralyzed. So that means that once they have had the hit of the viral particles or the spike, they the effect is sustained, right? It's they they are paralyzed for a long time. So do you? Well, I'm just I'm just thinking of. of like how it would be like is is this um do, are the spike protein and ACE2 binding is this recycled or just is to stay on the surface of the cell for a very long time that these TTLs can't just do anything unless it is this interaction is interrupted or intercepted what, these these cells we took from patients who had active disease so we can we uh, it, in these patients the cells that were in the in the bronchiolar lavage were exposed to high concentrations of spike. So from that experiment, we cannot say whether the effect is sustained. But that's a possibility that we are investigating because yes, it could be that once they have interacted with spike, they somehow uh, keep track, let's say, of this interaction and so of the state of immunosuppression imposed by spike. That would be a very, very exciting thing uh, because uh, note that this effect is not antigen specific. So uh, it uh, concerns any T cell which expresses ACE2, not only uh, um, spike specific or SARS2 specific cells. So it means that also the other cells, the other CTLs of the, of the immune system uh, might not be able to uh, respond to, uh, to other pathogens. And uh, uh, actually, uh, Reno made a nice consideration about it uh, with the reactivation of uh, latent infections by other viruses uh, in, uh, in COVID-19 patients. So the failure of uh, CTLs, uh, so, so this conditioning, let's say, of CTLs by spike that suppresses uh, generally their function might also impact on other infections in these patients. But how long uh, the state of suppression can last, you, you could only in principle know if you had the same patient uh, during the severe phase and after recovery, but nobody's going to give you bronchial viola lavage fluid from a completely healthy person. So uh, there are very uh, huge ethical, quest, ethical problems with this. Um, okay. you, you got something? Yeah, going back to that point. So do you think... Uh, it, it, the, the spike protein can also affect uh, T-cell signaling in the thymus. So we, we might see some problems in the positive or negative selection of some clones of T-cells during infection. Again, this is a very interesting question, but it requires knowledge on two things, whether thymocytes express ACE2. We don't know. It might be. 
it, in the end, it, it turns out that H2 is expressed by uh, everybody and his brother. And, uh, and the, uh, the other point is uh, whether Spike gets to, to mm -hmm. the thymus. Maybe in this context, Rino, you could add something about the, the widespread distribution of everything, basically, both H2 and viral distribution. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, so far we've been talking about real data, now we're going to speculations, but actually interesting speculations. Uh, so let's start from uh, the fact that the, uh, and the, the spike protein of the virus paralyzes uh, CTLs. So one of the things we'll be looking at is, for instance, uh, what happens uh, is, is there something that you expect to happen if the C CTLs do not work? And one of the things that is well known is that uh, in CTLs are important to keep uh, uh, varicella virus, herpes virus, basically zoster virus at bay. So uh, when you get immunocompromised, the CTLs go down uh, or are not e efficient, usually you get uh, shingles uh, because the virus is not kept at bay uh, anymore and is reactivated. So then, uh, so we expected uh, shingles to be more frequent uh, in during pandemic. And, and then you go and look whether they're uh, in the literature and, and basically there are many papers that report that the shingles uh, is much more frequent. It was much more frequent during the pandemic than uh, than in normal times. So something was happening, which is expected based on uh, was expected based on the observation that we uh, that we made. So basically, uh, obviously, we're not proving directly that the shingle reactivation is due to this, but it's exactly what you will expect, and that is it happens. So there are other things that may happen. Obviously, uh, the T cells uh, against cancer will be paralyzed as well. So, uh, and we have no proof about that. But then there is a question, you know, today there is a, we're talking a lot about long COVID. And long COVID is very difficult to define because it's a, uh, a mixed or mixed of many different symptoms, uh, syndromes, and 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 nobody knows exactly what it is. It's just we know that the uh, the infection of uh, of the virus basically causes uh, several different syndromes in the last long time. Now, you could think that uh, the the virus. We know that the virus. Uh, although we, we, we know this is a respiratory virus and the first target are the lungs, there are more and more reports saying the virus has actually been found in the liver, in the brain, in, in the uh, pancreas, in, pancreas uh, in basically many, many different tissues. Now, those tissues, usually most of them, do have the AC2 receptor. Now, if the same thing happens, uh, that the spike basically signals through the AC2, 
now, in we don't know signaling in um, pancreatic cells could lead the cells to do something which is totally different uh, from what they normally do. In nerve cells, could do different things. You can get neurological syndromes. In heart cells, could uh, basically cause different things. And we know that myocarditis is one of uh, one target of something that is really observed in during uh, uh, during COVID. So basically, there are a number of things that uh, the signaling of AC2 could do in different tissues. And I mean, I have, we have no proof that what I mentioned is actually true, but I think it's worth investigating about these things because we may have found a, something that the virus doesn't stop at the at the lungs and the respiratory syndrome, but there are a lot of extra pulmonary uh, uh, diseases due to COVID that could be related somehow to this observation. Uh, let's dive into the last part of the paper. And so far, it has been established that the inhibition of immune synapse formation by spike protein is mediated by AC2. But where does AC go within the T cells? And <clears throat> Basically, what is the mechanism of, of which AC2 binds and inhibits the immune uh, synapse formation, and what happens to the CTL function following this? For this question, the authors used T cells from patients acutely infected with SARS-CoV-2. They found that the inhibition of the immune synapse formation by spike binding to AC2 can be mimicked by the anti-AC2 antibody or angiotestin 2 which also binds to AC2, but not angiotestin 1 and 7, which are catalytic products of AC2 activity on angiotestin 2. So this is very important because it's a binding of AC2 by spike protein, angiotestin 2, or anti, or the block, or, or, or blocking AC2 that will inhibit the immune synapse formation independent of its downstream catalytic activity. Finally, to investigate the effect on CTL function, the authors used two experimental models, the classical RAGISAP system that we have previously discussed, and an antigen-specific system with a melanoma cell line and, and, and patient-derived antigen-specific T cells. In both cases, the authors saw an inhibition of target cell killing when T cells are pre were pre-incubated with anti-AC2 antibodies, just like when we observe when the pre-incubation with the spike protein. Um, Dr. Rino, this is particularly troubling when we're considering using anti-AC2 antibodies in clinics for, for patients with SARS-CoV-2. Could you elaborate on the potential drawbacks and any evidence in clinics that cautions us against this strategy? Well, absolutely. I, I think the finding in this paper basically uh, should basically be uh, considered very uh, important when you talk about uh, developing uh, antiviral um, methodologies that basically bind to AC2. Because if we any binding, uh, an antibody binding, whatever binding to AC2, basically signals what we are seeing here, you could have uh, then this, we expected the signal. Uh, to be able to 
paralyze the, t the cytotoxic T cells uh, or to signal other things in other tissues. So basically, we need to be very careful when we develop uh, new therapeutics that bind AC2 and basically make sure that those don't signal uh, and, uh, and, and, and basically be very, very prudent in, in developing these things. So I know that there's a lot of literature, a lot of people are proposing these things, but those things have been proposed before this this discovery was made. I think now that we know, we need to look at, the, uh, at them and make sure that uh, they don't do any, I mean, that, uh, that there are no, no consequences on using this uh, potential therapeutic. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Arino. And I have a last question for uh, Tatiana. Um, could you speculate on where exactly within the immune synapse AC2 goes and what is the potential binding uh, in the immune synapse that elicits this response that we are seeing uh, in this paper? Yeah. So uh, in, in the paper, we, we showed that uh, ACE2 goes to the synapse and somehow the localization is disrupted in the presence of spike. Uh, but uh, those experiments were carried out with a standard confocal microscope. And what we need to know, uh, I described before the, the very structured uh, architecture of the immune synapse, we need to know exactly where it goes, because that can give us a clue as to what it is actually doing uh, to modulate signaling. Because I said that uh, there is this, this uh, these concentric circle structure, we need to know where it goes. Uh, and now, Fortunately, we'll be able to do it because uh, with, a, with a big competitive grant, we have been able to purchase in the, for the lab uh, a super resolution microscope. And so uh, if we know, for example, if it goes to a center to, uh, to, uh, together with a TCR, we can hypothesize, for example, that uh, under um, standard conditions, is to somehow helps the TCR or uh, gives some positive uh, signal uh, to uh, to contribute to synapse formation, uh, or, uh, if it uh, if it localizes, for example, together with the integrins, then instead it could help adhesion of the cell. I mean, there are various scenarios, and to uh, to, uh, to formulate the hypothesis, we know uh, we need to know better exactly where. Not only that it goes to the synapse, but where within the synapse it goes. So uh, hopefully, in the following months, we'll be able to uh, to tell something more. Uh, we will look forward that uh, results. Uh, so, Jatin, I think uh, that's all for now. So, if we can move on to the discussion. Okay, thanks, Eugenio. So now we are <laughs> done with the results. Let's do some uh, open discussions. <laughs> the best part about the discussions is that nobody really has to know anything <laughs> because it's all a lot of speculation <laughs> so if since we are speculating i want to i want to bring up something so we see that this ace2 phenomenon uh, and how it inhibits ctl function uh tatiana i just want to know your opinion do you think there is a hidden function for this like this is a feature design or this is a bug what do you think Ah, who knows? I mean, who would have imagined that an enzyme like that interferes with, I mean, contributes? Because uh, if it goes to a synapse and when you prevent its localization to the synapse, uh, signaling is disrupted, 
it, it would follow that a, a stu participates in signaling at the synapse. But how does it do it? God knows, because uh, um, so the, the intracellular part is not very big, but it's known to somehow signal. As I was saying, both the transmembrane and the intracellular portion are involved in endocytosis. So maybe there could be a trafficking function. As I mentioned, vesicular trafficking is very important uh, during T cell activation. Another point is activation of integrins, because uh, ACE2 has been shown uh, without ligand. So just uh, uh, simply, uh, simply uh, let's say, uh, well, it has been looked at into an overexpression system, but still without any ligand, it has been shown to um, bind to and activate integrins through its, its extracellular domain. And integrins, as I mentioned before, are very important to stabilize the, the synapse, the contact, and so to uh, promote T-cell activation. Uh, so, maybe the function could be that, to uh, help integrin activation and thus participate in, in synapse formation. This is why I was mentioning that it is very important to understand exactly where it goes, because that could help us understanding what it does. So what I'm hearing is you are leaning towards the fact that it is probably a design, not a bug. Like this yeah, actually Yeah, I think, I think it is there. a design, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, the next thing is we have talked a lot about CTLs and the fact that spike 2 does uh, affect the TCR signaling. There's another type of cell that depends on TCR signaling. Well, a lot of other cells apart from CTLs. And let's just focus on helper T cells. Do you, if by any chance you've had data and if you, if you think this might be relevant to this helper T cell conversation as well? Well, I can take that. The, obviously, that's the, one of the first things that we thought uh, that I mean, if this affects the uh, CTLs, maybe it's going to affect the other uh, T cells. Uh, and in fact, Tatiana is doing the experiments right now. I don't know that she wants to add something, but the that will make sense because the during the COVID, uh, one of the uh, shortly after infection, one of the things that we know is that the immune response is actually pretty slow to uh, to start, uh, and, and it's pretty unusual the way the way the immune response uh, uh, to um, uh, to the infect viral infection it, it gets up. And we know that uh, one of the observations made very early on. Uh, by John Laurent Casanova was basically that uh, people with interferon uh, uh, deficiencies or the people who have antibodies to interferon are not able to generate a good immune response that go into a, a severe disease. Uh, and that means that uh, uh, basically uh, if you have, uh, I mean, you, you need a very strong immune response, a very strong interferon Otherwise, the immune response doesn't start. So there are a lot of hints that suggest that the, the immune response uh, is not doesn't start properly, and that could suggest the effect on CD4. So we're, we're going to do the experiments and try to figure that out. Actually, Tatiana's going to do the experiments and, and figure that out. No, well, without with yes. your spikes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and. Next, 
it, this is this has nothing to do with the study actually <laughs> this is just from the melanoma cells that he used and i was thinking about what if we stick up all these spike proteins onto a liposome and we use them as just general t-cell suppressants how is that idea for a startup and would you fund that's a a great idea actually in the paper we did use we did use uh liposomes uh, that were generated by uh one of the collaborators oscar stauffer so that was liposomes with embedded spike and uh, they they work very well actually they work better than soluble trimeric spike and probably is because spike is concentrated uh, on, uh, I mean, a cl- uh, let's say clusters uh, in the same spots, and so can more effectively engage ACE2. So that's a great idea, actually. So what you're saying is my million dollar spike liposome idea has already been used by somebody. So I'm not going to be <laughs> successful in getting this funding. <laughs> but but you, can, you might get million dollars. I will get a million dollars. Well, we yeah. use this podcast as a proof that it was discussed here just for patenting reasons in the future. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. And my last question for you today. Now, are you planning to have a follow-up study after this or are you done with COVID for now? And that's for you, Tatiana. For, uh, well, as, my, as Zino mentioned, we are working on the CD4 cells. So, so what's, uh, course, what's uh, because what's that's the interface with the humoral. So we are looking at uh, the whether ACE2 is expressed, whether there are synapse defects, and then uh, what what that means in terms of uh, help of these T cells to B uh, cell maturation. So we have to set up uh, in vitro uh, tests of uh, B cell maturation, so uh, antibody class switch and so on. And so hopefully we'll be able to say something about uh, the, the, the potential modulation of the helper function of T cells uh, by spike. Another point, another area which might be very interesting that is emerging is the one of, um, so we have looked at one factor, one, one key protein, which is spike, uh, because it's, uh, it's well characterized, because we found the receptor on the T cells. But of course, uh, in, in the paper where they had described uh, the expression of ACE2 activated T cells, they also showed that uh, SARS-CoV-2 could be internalized without a, a productive infection. So uh, it means that the virus does not replicate, but it is internalized, which means that uh, it could express also other things. So uh, the nuclear protein uh, or whatever, but also another of um, open reading frames that nobody knows very much about, but they are beginning to emerge as functional proteins. Uh, so for enco- as encoding for uh, encoding functional proteins. So some of these uh, open reading frames, for example, interfere with vesicular trafficking. So it, uh, another important area would be to understand what the other uh, proteins encoded by, by SARS-CoV-2 could do to T cells. Because we are, might only look at the, we might have been looking at the tip of the iceberg and there might be a coordinated actions action of the various uh, proteins encoded by the virus to really completely disrupt immunity. And that uh, I think is, is something that is really worth pursuing. That's very exciting. Uh, when you're looking at helper T cells, are T-regs in your scope? 
Uh, not right now, but okay. there are, uh, of course, I mean, uh, there are, there are uh, certainly candidates because if TCR signaling is modulated, of course, TCR signaling is important also for TREG activation. And so that could bring us to a completely other, well, to the other side of the coin, which is autoimmunity. Yeah. Okay. This, this paper has taught me a completely new thing about T-cell activation. I thought T-cell activation, well, we have figured it out mostly any new information is going to be marginal, but this changes a lot. So I'm really glad I came across this paper and uh, that we have had this discussion. Uh, before we end our episode today, uh, Eugenio, can you summarize for us what have we learned? Okay, so if you guys in the audience uh, miss the whole hour, just stick to these three key points. The first one will be, AC2 is upregulated in CTLs and is recruited to the immune synapse. The second point is AC2 plays a role in, in immune synapse formation and CTL function, although the underlying mechanism remains unclear. And finally, spike protein binding to AC2 impairs immune synapse formation and CTL function, including the killing of target cells. This is in fact a new immune evasion strategy employed by SARS-CoV-2. And that's all for now. Well done. Thanks a lot, Eugenio. And yes, I said, well done. Very good summary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> well done. Anyway, this would be a very good point uh, to wrap up the discussion. Thanks a lot, Eugenio. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Reno and Tatiana, for this wonderful discussion. Uh, for all of our audience, if you're interested to know more about our science communication endeavors, please check out antibodies.org. You can find out our blogs and podcasts there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies1 at gmail.com. With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.